0: You're exactly where you need to be. And you're listening to ADD Comedy with Dave Rizowski. Today's guest is James Thomas Bailey, AKA James Bailey. He's the artistic director of Comedy Sports in Los Angeles, CSZ Los Angeles, as well as two separate things. Comedy Sports in Los Angeles is the longest running show in the history of Los Angeles at 26 years. Uh, He's also produced and directed many other hit improvisational theater productions, including Chickspear over in Hollywood, now in its fifth season. I mean, this guy is driven, he's focused, he's determined, he works his butt off, and... He's a great model for anybody doing theater in Los Angeles. He actually gets real people to come see his improv show. <laughs> uh, he has a little secret that he wants to tell us about, um, well, the governor of Wisconsin and a family member of his. So let's listen to James Bailey, and uh, I'll talk to you at the other side. You're a busy human. Yeah, but we all are. I've mentioned it before. Sometimes I make the world think that I'm busier than I am. It's kind of a marketing thing. Yeah. Uh, but I do spend, like, the, oh, but you've got a full-time kind of job, you know? I have a couple of full-time positions. How are you able to do the thing up north, and then, are you still running comedy sports? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. How are you able to do both those things? Well, I've, I, um, I got, I got really lucky. I was offered a teaching position and a directing position up in Napa with, the. um, Couple of groups up there. School. uh, There's a major performing arts center up there, Uh and um, I tried it because you know most of the time during the week uh, down here, it's computer and phone, right. And on the weekends when all the shows happen and when all the life is happening at the theater, so I'm down here on the weekends. Works out great. Uh Teach, teach, and direct during the week. Right. It's just a lot of flying, and. that's the only, that's the only thing, but it's really great because I you know everybody I don't know about everybody, but a lot of people I think have a love hate affair with LA or any big city, mm-hmm. you know. And I've lived here a long time. How and long have you lived here? Thirty. Oh my God, thirty years in September. <laughs> you were here ten years before I was here. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, and the, I love LA, and there are times when it's just absolutely maddening. And what's what, what makes it maddening? Um, Uh, I, I think it's lack of community sometimes. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a theater community, there's an improv community, and that's all great, but I think just lack of neighborhood community. Right. And, um, you know, you want to go to the grocery store and it's a 30-minute trip mm-hmm. just to get to the store for some milk or right. whatever it is. Um, you drink milk? Uh, yes, I do. Um, I, I do not occasionally. Drink milk. I used to drink more. I'm from Wisconsin, I have to. Oh, that's right, that's yeah. right, that's right. But what, do you th- what do you think about what's going on in Wisconsin right now? Well... Pretty unhappy about it. Pretty unhappy about it. Right. Here's the the fun fact. Right. My sister went to prom in college with Scott Walker. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. (laughs) And she was just out visiting two weeks ago. Uh Uh-huh. And we talked about it a little bit. And she said he was the nicest guy, straightforward, you know, like... Groups of friends get together to play pranks on people. He'd be the guy going, come on, guys, that's not nice. Let's not do that. You know, super nice, super upstanding guy. Uh, very likable. Very driven, uh-huh. but very likable. Nicest guy you ever want to meet. Real good bud, you know. She worked with him in the, um, uh, like, a student ambassador sort of. In high school? In college. In college. Sort of oh, a student he, and, ambassador. At Marquette. Right. And you went to Marquette, too? I went to Marquette, too. Uh-huh. But she, so she went to, a, she was friends with him through this, student ambassador sort of um, thing, and, uh, to the, and he was in her circle of friends and she ended up going to a dance with him, but uh, they haven't really had any contact since. Right, of course. But her politics wouldn't mesh with his anyway, uh-huh. so. I don't understand what's happening. I just don't understand, and I had a long conversation with somebody the other day where I said yesterday, uh, a Facebook um, volley, if you will, uh, a woman who is, lives in Wisconsin, but is also from Arizona two states where I go what's happening and so I would say Wisconsin get it together and she goes why are you blaming Wisconsin I'm like I don't know because the voters voted for these people and she said not all of us have and I said okay you're right I should not paint with such a wide brush but the people that voted for these what well you know yeah I mean Wisconsin has such a tradition of uh, progressive politics That's took to me fighting Bob LaFollette and and unions, and all my my grandfather was a union steward, and at where uh, he worked for American Motors. Uh-huh. He was a welder, uh-huh. factory. My all my grandparents were like f- uh, factory folk. Yep, and um, and Wisconsin was always that way very, very down to earth, blue collar people, and um, the idea that that just I mean, if you go to Milwaukee, it's the capital of uh, besides the dairy stuff, it's the capital of um, like small engines. Yes. Harley-Davidson. Well, Harley-Davidson's there, but also Alice Chalmers. Right. There was Was. Alan Bradley and a whole bunch of companies that do these small motors. So it was a real fact. And the breweries, of course. It's factory town. So this stuff that's happening is a little nutty. It's really nutty. It's almost unbelievable. Uh, For me, I feel like it's unbelievable because I would love, I love going to Arizona. Texas, I expect... You know, um, I expect that. It's, it's wide and vast, but I don't... I, Texas, I, what's going on in Texas, I blame really on the religious fundamentalists. That's what I blame. I don't know that that's true in Wisconsin, that there's a religious fundamentalism over there. Mm-hmm. So, no, yeah, Jerry... No, there's not. So, I mean, you've got people like, go to church on Sunday, and that's all. I mean, they have a southern accent on that. It's like, go to church on Sunday. We're going go to go... That's more like it. We're going to go to church on Sunday. But it wasn't... That's not what drives this. So it's gerrymandering, but there's also other things going on. Well, as I well. think Democrats uh, progressives come out when their presidential candidate is running, and I don't think they, they don't go to the polls like um, the Republicans because mostly Republicans are older right and a lot of retired. Um, I got nothing else to do. <laughs> I'm exaggerating, of course, but you know what I mean. Like, no, I totally understand. Like, they go, "Well, what, what are you doing?" Well, I don't know we're going to vote. Let's go vote. But everybody's like, "No, I, I, I mean, totally understand." The youth vote that swept Obama in doesn't know what a union is. No, that's really they true. They don't understand too. collective bargaining. They don't know what any of that is, so they're not going to go. Right? Are you um, equity? Yep. Um, and you still keep your dues up? Uh, I took a leave recently because just because I'm use my card no i understand yeah. i i, I but, haven't been but I'm, I'm a member still i didn't want to i still want to give them some money because there was a time when i was out here and this is really this just kills me every time i think about it when i was out here and i really had i was almost broke and somebody said the actors fund can help you up and i called them up and i said i need 500 dollars. i just need 500 dollars, and they went all right we'll write your check and i said i'll be able to pay you back they go you don't have to pay us back we're the actors fund and she went, oh, my God, what do you mean? She goes, this is it. She said, what else do you need? And I went, what else do I need? And I thought, that's union. That's right. our union. Right. You know, it's not directly our union, but sister of that. And maybe it is part of the union. But I look at that and say what you want about a, a SAG-AFTRA. You know, they're not perfect, but no union is perfect. And I always feel like, and it's an improv. For me, it's an improv thing. Take care of your partner. Take care of your people. Be right. aware of what the right. fuck's going on. Yeah. You know? because the people that are, I don't know how many Republican improv groups there are. Maybe there are, I don't know. But I feel like, what would that be like? be something like this, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, artists have always leaned more progressive than Republican. and Because, you know, every artist lives by the skin of their teeth, and... and um, but you're I, not, n- I'm, I'm not. I'm not living by the skin of my teeth. No, but you know what I mean. I I understand what you mean. I understand. Everybody goes through it, it's a period, it's all it's a a lifestyle. Yes. The only thing, the reason that I'm saying that is how many how many actors I've heard say, yeah, well, I'm a starving artist and I want to go, shut the fuck up. You can't call yourself a starving artist. You cannot because the more that you do that the more you make it true. And you just don't make it true for you. You make it true for anybody who's within earshot of you saying that you're a starving artist. Especially if they see that you're good, they're going to go, "I'm going to hire you, hire you," air quotes here, yeah. to do that. And I'm like, "Really?" And then hire you for nothing. 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 So I whenever I hear people say starving artist, I really bristle at that. What's going what do you are you affected by the 99 this 99 seat no. thing. I mean, we are in that whereas our theater is a 99-seat space. Right. So it affects anybody that anything that we would do that was a play or scripted. Right. But because improvisation isn't governed under that, it doesn't really affect us. Right. Yeah. So it's different with improvisation. Yeah. So would you, could, would you, do you know enough about it to be able just to kind of give a little background of what we're talking about here? I think I don't know much other than it's never been governed because it's not written word. Mm-hmm. That, that uh, You're talking about the 99 cent. Mm-hmm. 99 cent. 99 seat rule. I'm not to 99 right. C- right. seat store. But everybody that works at our theater, I mean, I've I, I worked in so many 99 seat theaters and I've produced and directed in those spaces and, and that's, that is our theater community out here. Right. You know. So right. it's important to all of us. And, and if somebody wants to use my, our theater for a, a play, they... They're going to fall under that. They have to do the agreement. They can't. I see. Unless they're non-union. Right. But, if, you know, they're going to have to do the agreement. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I love working union. I love it. I love it. I, lo- I was on a set once in the desert, a Mercedes commercial. And I had, it was, I think, one of my first times I had a child. And I was driving a Mercedes, you know. there's a, you, Are you familiar with this part in Palmdale or somewhere where it's out in the desert and it looks like an old Route sixty six town, and I think a lot of the studios mm-hmm. own part of it. So there's an old looking diner, there's an old looking gas station, there's no. an old looking mm-hmm. mart. And I was down there, and I'm uh, uh, and I'm in uh, a trailer, and they have regular trailers because it's union. And I'm in a trailer, and somebody knocks on the door with a clipboard and a, a badge, and says, "Hi, my name is Scott, and I'm your union st- steward, and I want to know how's it going, how are you being treated." I was like, "Oh." that's awesome being treated well everything's going well this is part of being treated well by you asking me if I'm being treated exactly. well right. <laughs> exactly. <Right>. exactly exactly <laughs> exactly yeah. and I think that a lot of I, I also think that a lot of us don't even take you know you're a businessman right mm-hmm. but you're also an artist mm-hmm. and you understand in order for us to be thriving we have to also look at ourselves as an entity that is a business right and I think a lot of actors don't do that no, and I, actually, the whole reason I started an improv company, as strange as it sounds, was to have a business i mean it's not I wouldn't recommend starting an improv company as your business, but it that's what worked for me that's what allowed me to. Act and direct And do all these other things Because I had something else Going all the time you know? That still Was in the uh, It was still in the wheel, The wheelhouse So to speak But it was really in your, your The set of what you wanted to do Yeah You know the set Like algebraic set The set of what you right. wanted to do And it wasn't like You know what I'm going to do I'm going to open up a restaurant Until a good acting job comes right. in Right Right No it's I'm blessed I am so blessed Who? I'm sure you feel that way too I I'm do I do feel that way I do so feel that blessed. way but And, and it's who was a guiding force for you just in terms of that? You know, was there, was there a model or was there something where you went, that person's doing it? I, maybe there's not, but... Not really. I mean, I was, <clears throat> I was working with a theater company called West Coast Ensemble, a really great theater company that only recently sort of closed up its doors. Um, but uh, I was producing for them and, and they needed a late night slot and I started an improv show there and... And it took off, and all of a sudden, the show that was going to run six weeks is running a year, and then it's running two years, and then I went, wait a minute, I guess I should, this should live on its own, and so that's what happened. This should live on its own, and you said, I'm going to take this over yeah. to my own space. Yeah, and, I, and about a year and a half, two years after it opened. But now it's been playing, that show's been playing for 26 years. What show is this? Comedy Sports. Comedy Sports. Got it. But I 20, see what you yeah, oh, yeah. Comedy Sports was over there. And I see, and it was a movie. theater at West. Co- it was a show at West Coast Ensemble. Where's that? It was on Hollywood and Argyle, which is now a parking lot, but it was the old. It was kitty corner to the Pantages Theater in the building that was the Hollywood Mortuary. Got it right. right. And it had right. it had two theaters in it. One had been the old chapel, and one had been the old casket Showroom. Right. And it was a great space, and it was a collective of artists and. Uh, I did a lot of work there. I vaguely remember. I, I remember that vaguely. It was echo of that. It, yeah, it was on the corner, and then Stella Adler was right on the other corner, huh. and then Pantages. There was a time in the early 90s when uh, late Miz was playing at the Pantages. Uh, Stella Adler had something going. We had two hit shows at West Coast Ensemble. Um, Robert Morris was doing True at the Fonda, uh. and the Center Theater Group was at the Doolittle, Montauban now, right. because they had Phantom of the Opera sitting down at the Amundsen, so they did the rest of their season. They, they took over the Doolittle. So at that point, everything was a hit right. in all in all these theaters, and every, oh, it was so cool. It was like I remember the LA Times running a um, article about like you know t- the new Times Square, kind of of LA. Right. It was so great. It was such an exciting time. And now Stella Adler, that building's torn down, where the W Hotel is. Right. West Coast Ensemble became a parking lot because after the earthquake in '94. The Northridge quake. Northridge quake. Ah. Uh-huh. The building was damaged severely and the niederlander organization didn't want to repair it so they got made, it so they was ra- it a pretty building a pretty building was it a pretty building it was an old it was a 1917 building so jesus it, christ it was it was cool and um uh-huh. it had two theaters and upstairs we had one two uh- three four five studio spaces for classes God and rehearsals damn and it was fantastic Somebody could really make a boatload of fucking money by having another space like that to rent it out. I yeah. mean, you, you know, like yeah. that sort of, because there's nothing like that. It was great. And, and, and we always rented one theater while we had something going on right. in the other. And mm-hmm. Bronx Tale, uh, Chaz Palminteri's show started there. And, um Ami started there, and a lot of things. It was it was a really cool time. It was exciting. Was there? I, I love these kind of moments where you're going, okay, this thing's running for two years. Where, your example, this thing's running for two years, and then you go, then you think, I can move this somewhere else, and that, like, you go, ding, that moment where you go, wait a minute, right? Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I love those moments. Yeah. Where you say, and and th- those for me, those moments are, I, this. Evolved into that, and I never thought it was going to do that. If you'd asked me, 1988, would I still be in this show, doing this show, running this show? 26 years—it's crazy. (laughs) It's the the longest-running show ever in in LA. LA. The longest-running show ever in LA. And when you, because you got the old uh, Comedy Central space, which used to be the old HBO workspace. Right. Was it that? It was the Melrose Theater originally. Right. Came to the HBO Workspace. Right. And we took, it in, we took it in 2002. What shows did you see at the HBO Workspace? Because I saw Nia's show, My Big Fat Creek Wedding, there. Oh, right. one-person show. Right. Um, you know, I don't remember. Uh-huh. Um, because they happened so often. And they were, you know, 30-minute this and 30-minute that. <laughs> right. And everybody wanted to be there. And uh, I saw a lot. I, the idea of everyone wanting to be there, that... It was hot. Oh, my God. It was hot. So hot. And... I, remember, I also do remember there being a change here, because it used to be, when I first got here in 94, 95, everybody was doing these solo shows, or shows, not solo shows necessarily, but shows where someone had a very dramatic piece in it, like 12 Angry Men. Everyone got a, you know, a showcase monologue mm-hmm. in that mm-hmm. show. And as time has gone on, I don't see that happening much. I see a lot more ensemble things than before. There was a period of solo shows. That's when Bronx Tale and Chaz Paul Terry did his. And uh, my friend Amy Hill, who was original cast member of Comedy Sports, she had three uh, solo shows that were big hits and really, really put her on the map. I produced her third one. Um, and Alec Mapa had one. And, I mean, lots of people had them. Nia's show. Nia's show. You know, uh, and and they were ways for people to showcase themselves. Right. And then there was that whole thing in the late, very late eighties, like around nineteen ninety, when everybody was doing stand up, and every every restaurant, coffee house, bar had a stand up night. Mm-hmm. And everybody wanted to get in the belly room at a Comedy Store. Right. And everybody wanted to be out at the at the, the improv- Footsies, at Ice House. <laughs> and, you know, they, everybody wanted that because they were going to get seen because right. all those people. You know uh, Tim Allen and yep. Zan and right. Tim what, Allen was the first one I thought of too. Yeah, her name Grace Under Fire. Uh, yeah, yeah. Blake, Brooke Blake. Br- Bar- Brooke. Bar- no, oh, uh, how sad. I'm so sorry. No, no, no. I'm not she, apologizing to you. I'm apologizing to her. Oh, um, she exploded. I mean, she, when I say ex- she exploded, it's like something happened to her life. But she um, got it, and she got a show. Right. I mean, every, all Burke, these people. Burke, Ellen. What? Come on. Burke breathed. No, no, Burke, no. He did the He was a penguin <laughs> cartoon. Right, right, um, right. Right. Anyway, all those right. people blew up. But an interesting thing about that, I love the idea of if you fucking want to make it happen, you do it for yourself. Yeah. There's very few shows. I think there's very few people out here that, I mean, I guess you just go right into film or something and you don't bother with anything else. Somebody else makes it happen for you. But I feel like, you know, you got to do your own, you've got to find a way to put yourself out there. Yeah. yeah. And I, I don't know what the current thing is now podcasts. Um, maybe it's. Uh, I don't know what it is. It's not stand up anymore. No, it's certainly not stand up. It's not one person shows I mean, anymore. mean, improv sort of came around and Yeah, um, improv came around. Uh, but it's not improv either. No. Um, but it's it's YouTube. Oh, I, it's YouTube. It's, it's YouTube. YouTube. It's totally yeah. do, it's doing your own it's doing your own YouTube channel. I'm a voice on Most Popular Girls in School. Mm-hmm. Do you know what that is? Mm-mm. It's a YouTube sensation. And um, it is Barbie dolls uh, in a high school situation and uh, but it is fucking nasty. I mean, it is nasty, dirty, rotten, nasty, awesome. And uh, Lily Vonnegut uh, put it together with uh, a couple other people. Aaron Krebs is in it, and Dave Hill is in it, and I'm in it, and I play an alcoholic mother. As you can tell, the of the voice of an alcoholic <laughs> mother. <laughs> uh, and it it they were doing it out of essentially out of their garage. It wasn't a garage. And then YouTube caught. It caught fire, and YouTube went, bring it over here. And this is what YouTube does. I don't know if you know this. They say, bring it over here. We will give you, give you the space. Give you people, uh, technical people. We will give you the equipment. We're going to give you the time. We're going to give you the editing facility. We're giving that to you because you have so many followers. And that's what you want. I don't know that anybody's making any money at it. I mean, I do get paid, which I think is great. They pay for voiceover work. Um, we have a couple guys in our company that have big YouTube channels that make money off it. You know? uh-huh. What do they do? Um, Andre Meadows does black nerd comedy. Uh-huh. He's very popular. Um, Alex Fasciani and Kelly Whistler, who are in our company, do a Pokemon channel, uh-huh. and they do real well. Uh-huh. And uh, you know, it's sort of amazing. It really is amazing. It's amazing that you can make money do you do any uh, do you do any because I, for me I love doing the podcast I don't do the EQing or whatever you want to call that um, my, my producer Ian Foley does that and he does a really great job at it um, but I do the intros I do the outros I do the publicity on that the promotion on that I love doing that stuff but you must have somebody else doing that or do you do it doing publicity like for the th- for the theater yeah um, well we, we do have staff people at the theater um, we actually do very little uh, I mean we do social media stuff right But that's what I mean yeah we, we do that and we have various people participating in that but um, one of the things about us which is maybe it shows that I wasn't a good businessman was that um, we are primarily word of mouth and right we have never really ad- I advertised like in 1990 in the LA Weekly and the LA Times I did it a few times and I was like you know what it didn't make a bit of difference we just we don't we don't do anything <laughs> I mean Facebook and t- Twitter and, but we don't do anything other than that mm-hmm. I mean I, we're not even good about sending out our little newsletter it, it's, and it's bad probably but, well, it, but we have totally been everybody's favorite secret word of mouth kind of thing and um, that's served us really well right. so we, we, we do try to take advantage of social media more than anything else I don't know that I've ever seen your social media stuff, but then again, maybe I'm done looking. Um, I'm looking more for like, what did that guy Scott Walker do? And fuck that lady. I know. I like like your post a lot. I know. I fun time (laughs) with it. Thank you. Uh, But it's 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 so awesome that you got that word of mouth thing because yeah, it's fucking perfect. Yeah, we have a we have a really unique situation, and in that, our audience is mostly not actors. That's phenomenal. They're just normal. Not that actors aren't normal, but they're they're real people who aren't necessarily necessarily in the business. Right. And they're just coming to have fun. And it's great. Right. It's glorious. Are I mean, you doing it, any improv? Yeah. <laughs> on stage tonight. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and it, in the comedy mm-hmm. sports Comedy show. sports. But I, uh-huh. we do, you know, we've got other improv, we've got other shows besides mm-hmm. comedy sports. Comedy sports is the thing that's been our signature show for years, but we always have half a dozen other things going on. So, How many people do you have working for you? We have a, we have about 100 actors, um, and a hundred actors and school. No, no we have school. Performers. These are. I mean, oh yes, we do have a school. Yes, we do have a school. So we have we have classes. We have an education director. We have instructors. We have a giant high school education program. Uh huh. It's the largest teen improv program in the United States. We currently coach improv teams in seventy-five high schools in um, the LA area. In the LA area. And so, your high, and and how many teachers do, how many, how many? There are about uh, 10. 10 teachers that do those 75 schools. Yeah. Yeah, we have about 1,500 kids a year that do improv with us. Forgive my naivete, but that's just fucking awesome. Yeah, we've been doing it. This is our 25th year of doing our high school league, and uh, it's huge. It's the best thing we do. It's, Uh It's, I mean, in terms of life changing stuff, I mean, we all do improv for the get a job and the entertainment and the buzz we get from performing, but. Every, every lifelong improviser knows what improv gave them and how it changed their lives. And, and so that's what we're really giving to these kids. And some of them go on to be performers and great artists themselves and others do other things. But I will get, I will get a, literally I will get a letter or an email from a kid kid 10 years later right? just saying, I use what you taught me every day. And, you know, and it's like, that, it is the best thing we do. For me, I feel like that's, yeah. the, that's the best thing. Um, I love that I, I, I pay my rent, I love that I travel around the world, but I really especially love it when someone says, I thought about that, I thought about what you said, and you changed my mind on this thing, and now I'm living my life in this fashion, practicing that. Right. right. Because I think that, that one of the things that I learned about being taking on the improv world is I get to set up the scene that I want to set up in my life. Right. Yeah. it changes the way you walk through the world. It changes the way you approach every problem. It changes the way you approach every disappointment, all that stuff. Right, right, right. So when you say the disappointment, how does that like? How do you see? How do you see that? Like, how does that? because well, you look at them as new, uh, uh, unseen opportunities, mm-hmm. directions you're driven into that you wouldn't have chosen on your own. Right. You know, creativity doesn't happen without mistakes. So, so when creativity you, when you, doesn't happen without mistakes. Right. When you learn to welcome the mistake and not fear the mistake. Uh, it, it takes you to great places you couldn't have gone on your own. The you idea know. of reframing what a mistake means, reframing the reframing the quality of that word. When I say quality, I don't mean good or bad. I mean the quality of the word mistake. Where it's like you made a mistake. Instead of going, you made a mistake. What? You made a mistake. Okay. Yeah. Now what? And failing. Right. You Again. Be, you can't be creative without failing. Right. You have to fail to right. be creative. And, and I love people, I love the idea of Someone that just fucked up. And this is a Chicago thing. The Chicago thing is this. You fuck up in Chicago as an actor, and someone's going to say to you, that was horrible. What's your next gig? And that's what they're going to do. And you go, oh, so it wasn't a fuck up that's going to end my life. It was something that guides me towards those, guides me, guides me. It just guides me. It puts me back on the road. I got off the road. I fell off the road. I made a mistake. I had an accident. Right, right, <laughs> you know? right. I had an accident and somebody pulled me out of the ditch right. with a tow truck and went, you know what? That's okay. Brush it off. That's why I have insurance and, and move on. And that's the biggest light bulb I think you can get is when you suddenly realize that and you go, oh, that's not life ending. That's not life ending. It's not career ending. It's not relationship ending. It's not, you go, okay, all right, what do I do with this? <laughs> this is awesome. I didn't know that was going to happen. Do you know, I know. I remember we did a we did a corporate gig for Nestle one time, and it was a sandcastle building competition. Ask me what I know about building sandcastles. Right. What do you nothing, know about nothing? Okay, um, but we, we, we were we'll running. we, were, we were, nothing. I don't know. Anything. But we were doing. We do. Who it. does? No I've, one. No one, except for the sandcastle company, I don't know who they are, but we did an improv workshop for them, like, uh-huh. you know, like you do, right? and corporate training, and, and, and the part of it was building sandcastles, so we went out to meet with the corporate people for the final meeting before this big event of theirs, down at, you know, the fanciest of fancy Santa Monica hotels, and they all had, there were six or seven of them, they all had clipboards, and they were checking things off, we looked at the room, we looked at the chairs, we looked at the beach, we did all that stuff, and then we sat down to lunch, and then while, we, while I'm eating lunch, with three of them at my table... I just decided I'm going to say it. I said, "Gosh, um, I hope it doesn't rain." And their faces just went white, like they had never considered that it might rain. And to me, I'd go, "All right, what are we going to do with that?" They all—all the castles have to have a moat. Design a moat. We're gonna do it anyway. You know what I mean? Like you, right? <laughs> right? Right? You'd right? Right? Make, you'd make lemonade out of that. Right. Right. But they just were like, absolutely, just stop them in their tracks. And I, it wasn't gonna rain. It's California. Right. It's summerish. So how often does it rain? But I thought, you know, I'm gonna say this because of their clipboards. They have got such a plan. Nailed. Got it. They got, got it. Such a plan nailed down. Right. That if this deviates the plan, they're gonna freak out. Yes. So I wanted to know that it's probably gonna deviate somewhere. Yes. What's the worst thing that could happen? It's going to rain. It ain't going to rain. But I said that because I wanted to know that whatever happens, it's going to be fine. Yes. Whatever happens, it's going to be fine. Yeah. I think that anybody can look at uh, where they are right now if they consider themselves a success. And when I say success, what I mean is, are you happy with where it is that you are? Are, are you looking around right now and going, I have this thing that I'm in, I this place that I'm at. And to look at that and think, I would not be here. Let's say right here, talking to you. I would not be here had there been, not been, A series of mistakes. A series of failures that led me to this. There's a great song that is by Alan and Marilyn Bergman and Michelle Legrand called On My Way to You. Mm -hmm. It's all about all the scenes in my life that I wish I could, scenes that need rewriting. On My Way to You? It's called On My Way to You, and I've sung it at weddings, and um, it's an important song of my life, but it's... um, It's about, I lay in bed at night and I think about all the conversations that I should, all the things I should have said and could have said and all the scenes in my life that need rewriting. But I realized that if I change a single thing, I wouldn't have found my way to you, right? Now, take you out, whatever that you is, I wouldn't have found it to here. You know, and I think especially as actors and people in Hollywood, uh, the industry, whatever that is, we are always so set on what is the next goal what is my what am i going to be discovered next when, when when is my work going to be seen next what's my next project that we don't ever enjoy what we got right now that's that phrase i've used a million times replace ambition with gratefulness yeah yeah right i mean it's 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 so i think that's another reason i like getting out of la it's so funny when you come back to L.A., and, you're, and you know this from traveling, when you come back and you walk into a Starbucks and everybody around you is talking about their, oh, they've got a, a pitch with someone, right. or, they're, or they're working on their screenplay, or everybody's got a pitch. It's always about, well, I've got a pitch meeting. Right. You know, well, I'm out here for pilot season, blah, blah, blah. You know, I, like, I, get, I get so irritated with it. I said, can you just <laughs> all have coffee and be real? Why, do you, why is your life so anchored? To this conversation I listen to that and this is what I think I think you are you have to get this conversation out of your mouth in order for you to get to the reality of what it is not the reality in order for you to find the truth of why you're here in Los Angeles because all those things are going to lead you to something else and maybe it validates you and gives you strength to stay and to, to maybe it's a pep talk for yourself when you say oh, I got this going on I got that going on but at some point when it becomes an obsession, you know. Well, it's a matter of having like, that sense of community, too. Yeah. Because we're all speaking the same dia- dialogue. Right. And the dialogue does include agent, manager, pitch, pilot season, pilot. Um, right. That kind of stuff. Yeah. You know yeah. what Parking. So uh, it includes all those things. <laughs> but I also feel like, for me, I, I don't know about you, James, but I, I'm sure you don't. I don't talk about that shit ever but then again, you and I do something very different than what other people do. Yeah. And we're still here. Yeah. And we're still in we're still in the trenches. And right. I don't mean in the trenches like driving over a pilot season. I've been out here 20 years. I had one pilot season. Yeah. I think also, you know, like so many actors that are in, in improv or comedy or whatever, it's always about whatever they're doing that is a showcase for someone to see them as opposed to Loving the art of what they're doing and the the connection with the audience and the, the creative aspect of it, whenever I meet an actor, I feel like an actor's around in, in, our, in our company, and it doesn't happen too often with us, I have to say, but where somebody is just there for the showcase right that makes me crazy right that makes me crazy right just there for the showcase and and you said it doesn't happen that often not in our company no, uh, but but I think it's just because like mindset people come together you know I also think that aren't there going to be people that are going to come just for the showcase and then end up staying for the pie you know where they go you know they go I was here for that thinking that that was what what I was here for but then I realized and just like life in general I realized that's not what I'm here for I thought it was going to be a showcase but it turned out to be a place for me to discover what it is who it is what my voice is right and that's when we have that those letters, that, those right. emails that you get. That's when we have those because people have an They didn't think that that was going to happen. No, and that's, that's the greatest thing about it for the young, young ones especially is it's a chance to have their own voice right. uninterrupted or interfered with by adults, uncensored by adults. It's standing up and finding out what you got in you and who you are and what you're made of and finding your own voice. Right. That's the appeal. That's, that's, and, that, and people surprise themselves you because know, they don't know they have it. And they don't know that they had permission to say it. Right. Which is a huge thing. So when you're talking about those adults, you're going, okay, you know what? They're gone. Listen. Yeah. This is what we're going to do. Right, right. And it just stays in this room, and that's all. Because I do remember thinking, the first acting class I had when I was eight or nine, I remember <laughs> saying, okay, my mom's dropping me off. She leaves. She goes into the car, and then there's this woman and all these kids my age. And, she, and the woman says, we're going to do this. And we go, What? pretend still kills me Yeah. still gets me and I love well comedy sports is very different because it's short form improv which means that it's a game and then you know essentially yeah. rules by the game and this right. uh, so short form it's it's so interesting short form and long form you know who came up with long form the word long form uh, I actually don't Michael Gelman do you know Michael oh Henry? I do know Michael yeah Yeah, Michael that, That's his, yeah. that's his term long form Kind of interesting someone had to come up with it i didn't know michael did that yeah michael did that so what we've got is you've got somebody giving you the permission to uh certainly less so in short form because it is it is a game with rules right and which is great and the people that can do that it's pretty awesome what the people that can do that i don't know that i'm all that good at it but it's not something that i'm drawn toward I'm drawn toward the the longer thing, where it's like, where is this going to head, and let, letting yourself go in that direction. Right, right. Um, I see tremendous worth about of, of both those. Yeah, and I've never understood the sort of like one is better than the other. They're completely different. For me, it's I always liken it to, if you're a singer, you don't. No one ever says, I only do ballads. <laughs> <laughs> I only. I'm sorry if it's not up tempo. I can't do it. Right, I'm like, right. well, no. If you're a singer and you're a good singer, you can probably do both. You know. And here's the thing: it's about a skill. You, know. you discover what and you discover what your voice is, which right. is pretty much parallel to what we're doing. And you discover what your rhythm is. You discover what your tempo is. And you discover what your what your what your joy range is. Right. Right. And when you discover what your are drawing around, you go, okay, so someone like, uh, oh my God, it takes someone like Ella Fitzgerald, who was able, uh, essentially, a lead guitar as a voice, but she was also able to do, uh, you know, she'd do lullaby, lullaby, but she was also able to do Lush Life, and you go, that lady was able to go both. She didn't say, you know what, I'm just torch Songy. Right. Well, one of the things I love about Meryl Streep is that she'll do an amazing dramatic film and then she'll do something like Mamma Mia. Meryl Streep is doing Mamma Mia. Right. And you go, why would you do that, Meryl? You're Meryl. She's like, because I fucking can. Right. I'm Meryl. Yeah, I'm going to go do it because it looks fun. I'm going to do it. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's all about your range. And the, the thing about the skill sets of short form and long form, they're so... Both of them are so amazingly useful. If you're an actor and you're auditioning and you ever want to do improv on television, you better know how to do short form. You better. You work on a cruise ship, better know short form. If you want to work in a theme park, you better know short form. If you want to get paid for improv most of the time, you better know short form. (laughs) If you want to have your... But if you want to explore what you can do as an actor and explore genre and and push the boundaries you better know how to do long form right you know I love that idea of uh, the skill set the the um, uh, the uh, what you learn from doing short form like that idea because I also believe that if you're doing short form you are in you have to intensely listen to what it is that someone's telling you yeah in order for you to hit that groove right the fuck now because they may be deliver 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 because hey the cameras rolling right Hello, whose line is it or anyway? Just, you know right, what I mean. Right. You deliver. You got to deliver. Have you been on that show? Uh, I haven't. No. But you must have been like me, auditioning. A I did. Times. I actually auditioned with Nia. Yeah, uh huh. Years ago. Right. Yeah. Right. And I made a, I made a really dumb mistake on that audition. I <laughs> I thought I should do, be really smart and show them. I, I thought these guys have been impro- auditioning improvisers forever and. The CDL, you know, I thought I got to be smart, do right. clever things, and um, so I was trying to do my best smart improv, and that is totally not what they wanted. They, they, they put us up to play, a, you know, an object game with a prop. You right. know, use the prop in a, you know, in a different way, and you know, we call it object freeze. But mm-hmm. um, they handed us a prop. I don't know what it was, and there were about ten of us, and that prop went down the line, and we all did a thing, and it went around. I'm not kidding. 12 more times mm-hmm. Right That's what they do Right What they want to know is Can you keep going Yes When you have to Right Can you deliver And Are you saying things That's going to make Middle America In their living room Laugh Don't be too smart Too smart's going to Knock you out of the thing And I did a couple things That I thought were Incredibly clever <laughs> <laughs> And then I got on And I got done And I went Oh, I get it now. Cause I like they called. They called two or three people back. Yep. And uh, and when I saw what got, who what got called who got called back, that's when I went. Oh, can I can I have a do over? <laughs> I get what you want now, right? No, I I I know what you mean. I know what you mean. When I look at somebody like Wayne Brady, I go, "Oh, Wayne doesn't give a fuck. Wayne just like rattling shit off." And it's also really interesting because what you did was you put a governor on your creative process. You're saying, "I can't go there," and that narrowed your your. I totally understand what you're doing. Well, whenever you're auditioning, you try to do something that makes you stand out and be different, right? Clearly, I thought, "I'm going to do. I'm going to do smarter improv. Right. I'm going to do. I'm going to do." I remember we did, we did like a dating game thing and I was endowed as a valley girl. Uh-huh. Well, at the time I was coaching a couple of Catholic girls' schools. Uh-huh. I thought, hey, nobody knows more about valley girls than me. So I was doing really smart. I was talking about which member of Backstreet Boys I like better and why. And I, you know, I, was, I was like, I have all over the place. And what they really wanted me to do was go, oh my God, let's go to the mall. Oh, That's geez. really what they wanted. Right, 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 right. That's all that they wanted. Right. They didn't want depth. Right. They just, and I think that that goes back to the idea of let the short form. It's not that it doesn't have depth. It just, uh, it knows where it's going to be and it needs to be there, you know? No. Yeah. And you have to deliver and you have to make choices quickly. And, right. And all these things. And there's more of a, um, more of pressure placed on entertainment. Right. Which is great for an audience. Not always as fun for an actor. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have to know how to do it. You have to be able to do it. Right. I mean, we do comedy sports because audiences love it. That's how we we have an audience of real people because it is an incredibly accessible form for them. And then once they come in through that, then they stick around and they come to Shakespeare or right. the Resistance and they stick around for long form and genre and all this stuff. But it's it's an easily accessible way in. And I I just think you have to, you know, you have to be you spread your skill set a little bit. Sure. Know? Uh, sure sure I'm thinking about when I first got into improv it was very different because I was I came in from an educational place as a educational being I worked in prisons for a year doing theater non- comedic theater and then I went to Chicago and I started studying with Dell and that was long form and I'm looking going what is this what's happening here um, uh, but you didn't have the houses that you had at your you have at your place, but then again, there wasn't any. There, I don't know that there was a comedy sports. Well, back then, when we eighty two, eighty three, no, eighty four is when it started in um. Milwaukee. But when, I mean, I th- I got into improv through acting classes. Mm-hmm. I I did it as part of acting. It never occurred to me that it would be entertainment unto itself. Never in a million years. Never. You know, and I remember when I saw it on stage for the first time. I was like, wow, this is. It was like mind blowing to me. Because uh, it just seemed so dangerous and exciting. And could I do that? And I, I could never do that. And then it turned out I could. Um, but when we started out here, it was War Babies. War Babies? A group called Mice and I think LA Connection. War Babies really sounds familiar. Mice they were at familiar. the improv. And Mice was a group that I never saw. Um, they were out here. And um Did you say LA Connection? Yeah, I think LA Connection I Which think, is still around. Yeah, yeah. I think LA Connection was doing their thing then. Oh Groundlings were here. Uh uh-huh. Groundlings. Right. Um, of course. But um but that was it. That right. was it. There was nobody else. Do you know who the war babies were, any of those people? I did. Okay. And they were they were prominent people. Like I think Edie McClurg was part of him uh-huh. and um oh uh, ch- uh ch- Charlie uh God, I'm spacing out, Matt. but yeah, they but they they were but they were an older group of act older older group. Now, it's younger than me probably, but older at the time. And um, well, Edie was part of the committee. Maybe I'm maybe I'm confusing her that, participation. That could, she might have been in both. But yeah. I mean, it was a it was a group that was at the at the uh, improv and and they would do like you know Sunday nights or I don't know what. Um, but there wasn't all that much improv happening. I remember I don't know if you had this experience, but I used to have to explain. To everyone, what improv was. Right. 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 Then Whose Line came around, and then we'd just say, no matter what kind of improvisation you were doing, you'd say, Do you ever watch Whose Lines anyway? And they go, Oh, I love that. That's what I do. Right. But different. And, right. And it was just, that was an easy access, it saved sure. me the conversation a million times a day. And, like to explain what a Herald was to somebody yeah. was it's impossible. Forget it. Like, fucking forget, forget about it. it. You know that's why Shakespeare is like Chickspear, right? That's yeah. the thing, right. Yeah. Shakespeare is like you take ladies doing Shakespeare. I'm assuming, yeah, right. And it's pretty simple as yeah. opposed to a herald, which is you get a suggestion, ta 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 and the first thing I want to do when I'm done with all of that is never do another one. <stimulus> You know, just go, I have done that, give me long form, give me mono scenes, yeah. give me all that yeah. stuff. But to have to fucking explain it to an audience member no. where they're going, oh, this is the first act. Yeah. Now they're going to have a game. And they're going to, like, stop it. Stop it. It's not, there's a lot of that that's, that's wonderful for actors. Yes. The Herald is wonderful for actors. Yes. Not necessarily wonderful for an audience. And maybe wonderful for an audience of other actors or improvisers. Right but not necessarily for the general ticket-buying public. Right. So, you know, but it's, it's a completely different landscape out here now than it was in the late 80s. It's totally different. Oh, my God. Totally and I, different. I love where we are right now, and you must, too, yeah. because you, you get to do what it is that you get to do. But I, I, I love being able I, I travel around the world. When I look at my schedules this year, I think, how the fuck does all that happen? And it happens because I have that background. And it also happened because, and you're, you know, you, you do this on a much larger, grander scale than I, um, the idea of, I'm a business, how do I make more business? Right. Or, I'm a business, I'm going to make more business, which is different. Right. Uh, because the idea of, this is going to happen, I am going to make more business. Yeah. And how fucking fun that is. Yeah. Very often. I did some work with for the U.S. State Department, and you... Uh, oh, that's right. And it was mind-blowing for me uh, because of the way it was received by people who had never heard of i don't know if you've had this experience in your travels but i had the experience of teaching improvisation to people who had never heard of improvisation no i'm, I'm i i do not think so yes, yes i did keep going it was magical to them. right right it was like i was willy wonka and i had come to town of what is you know, what is this magic you bring us you know like it was i mean it was life changing for a bunch of them. I, I'm not saying that like pat myself on the back, but these I was primarily teaching educators mm-hmm. and some diplomats and things like that. And the tools, they did. It was mind blowing. to Right, them, right. You know, and that as a teacher, that was so gratifying to go. Wait a minute, none of you know what improv is at all. Okay, take out your notebooks because here we go. You know, <laughs> 700 students later, you go wow, that was an amazing, as a, as a teacher and a lover of the art form, Right, it was an amazing experience to be right. able to do that. You know? As a teacher and a lover of the art form, absolutely. Yeah. It's exciting. Uh, I, a guy came to my class uh, and who I later found out was a barber and he cut my hair. I gave him this lovely haircut. And his, a friend of his brought him to the, uh, paid for his uh, drop-in. And he I said, okay, so what's your experience? He goes, i um, I've never done improv before. It's like, okay, when you see a show, what improv show do you like to watch? He goes, I've never watched an improv show. here we go. (laughs) It's great, isn't it? (laughs) And then afterwards, because my class is is different than I think, uh, my class is different because it's not, it's not like we're going to learn how to do freeze tag or we're going to learn how to do these other things. It's more like, we're just going to be here right now. And he ended, and it was a very interesting thing because we ended the class and he said, okay, um, what, just happened what did we just do and i had to really codify it and define what it is that we did which i'm not used to doing yeah i i, I hate when you're teaching or whatever and people go oh yeah okay yeah they sort of dismiss like you, you're you not even get done explaining your point they go, oh yeah i got it i got okay yeah yeah you know like we're, we're to that point you know yeah and then i want uh, that person to come up and go you didn't you thought you did but you didn't, you didn't know what it was you didn't didn't know, it. know it. <laughs> you didn't know it was, it. You, you really don't know what it I is i remember an mba go, uh MBA. No, see, that's a whole group too. Uh, in Business people. Texas, a guy I taught for a week as part of a group for a week, um, coming up to me in the last day and literally weeping. Like his life had been so rocked in the week of one week of class and his life was like different, you know? And for a Texas MBA straight dude to get weepy, that was, that was a pretty powerful moment. In my teaching career, to watch that how how that can affect people because I think we get a little jaded out here. Everybody everybody's taking class somewhere or doing it. I'm in a cage match or I'm doing this or I'm in a show or you know. And I think we forget the sort of the mystery and the magic of it all. And when it hits someone's core and they realize that they have been looking at the world just through one facet of a multifaceted. Uh, they've just been looking at seeing one facet of a multifaceted world mm-hmm. and suddenly walls come down and vistas open up and they're listening and i think what they're listening to i think what people are listening to for the first time is they're listening to themselves and they're hearing themselves yeah you must feel this way sometimes do you ever feel like you have superpowers like like you're like Superman has x-ray vision and can see through things and you're standing there in some situation and c- communication is supposedly happening between several people or a group of people or one person and you're going you're standing outside of it watching it all lay down you're going he didn't get that she didn't get that you know and and you want to intervene or you or you selfishly manipulate the situation because of what you know that the others don't seem to be aware of What you're aware of that others aren't aware of. Yeah, how people reveal themselves and how things, you know, Uh, uh, all that stuff. That's just and that to me is, you know, yeah, I love performing on stage. That's awesome. But Forget all that. To me, what what improv does for you is it opens all those superpowers that you then have in all the facets of your life where you just you can see situations unfold that other people don't see. It's For me, it's that right there, seeing situations unfold that other people don't see. Also, going back to what you were saying about watching people miss things, but the other side of that is watching people miss, what is it they're missing? What they're missing is this is a door that just opened and you keep walking past that open door knowing I'm watching you know that something just happened and I'm not watching you jump into that. And what's happening while you're walking by that door wondering where the door is that's open, that's right open and right in front of you, what I'm watching you do is I'm watching you suffer. I'm watching you suffer because you're thinking this thing needs to look like that that a scene needs to look like this, that there is something called a doctor's office scene or waiting for a plane scene or jumping out of a plane scene. And you go, no, you're missing what just happened. You were moved and you're not admitting that your partner says something that moved you. You're not, not, not admitting it, you're not accepting it or maybe not admitting it or not recognizing right, it. Right, right. But the moment we get to go, wait, stop. You just said something that you never said before. Did you know, did you hear yourself say that? And they go, no, I didn't. Or they'll go, no, I didn't say that. I was like, you said it. And that's the superpower. The superpower is, and I agree, the superpower for me is to say, you have been moved. Don't be the last person to know that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And those of us who do this, and I think that goes back to what you're saying about, it's not about just being up on stage. that's all great but it's really great to sit in a room full of 12 people and to watch two people up on stage just opening themselves up or keeping themselves closed and then watching what they do when they realize I didn't need to keep myself closed in that situation you know it's very different and it's very lovely and it's the reason I teach yeah and when you when you're used to surrounding yourself with those kinds of people and you get into a situation with a room full Of people who don't have that skill set or openness or awareness, it's really fascinating. It's fascinating. I I usually when you're in a room full of people I I don't you have this happen. Somebody says something that, you know, Joe from Joe from Accounts Receivable says something and everybody laughs because it's so funny. And I'm thinking to myself, that's not funny. That's not funny. There's nothing funny about that. Why are we all politely laughing? That is not funny. You know that's not funny, right? My friends are funny. I I have four I'm always amazed that people want to pay money to watch me and my friends screw around on stage that's really you know right hey come to come to the theater give me some money and we'll do something a really interesting I I don't know what it is but we'll we'll do something for you (laughs) just give me some money and my friends and I will fuck around for a while and then you'll go home right yeah and a major part of what you just said was give us some money that was a major part of what you just said (laughs) was give us some money. And I don't mean to go it's all about the money, totally. but I'm just saying, give us some money and we're gonna do that. You get to write right exactly. Because we're gonna get together anyway. Right. And I don't mean I don't even mean it like I want your money. I just no, mean I, like that's what I'm, I'm amazed that people will pay money for that. Right. That skill set that my that friends have. And when I'm not in that, when I'm not surrounded by people like that, and you watch how things don't happen and things right. don't move, and people laugh at each other when they're not funny and all this stuff, it's, it's sort of maddening. You're like sitting there going, oh, my God, no one else can see this. <laughs> no one sees it. Right. But it's also about that. It's also like when it comes to people doing uh, Anything. 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 Looking around and noticing what's happening, you know, I'm I'm at Pavilions, which I love going to the grocery store. I love it. I really, really love it. Um, I don't get milk, but I love going to the grocery store. So I go to Pavilions, and I'm and the woman that works in the butcher butcher over there. She 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 knows what kind of fish I like, and I really like her. And um, and I'm watching this guy. She's talking to this guy who's got a bicycle helmet on and a backpack, a, a, a small man, and apparently he works at the at the, at the supermarket too. And I'm watching them have an interaction, and they really like each other, and there was a spill on aisle five, and she'd make a spill on aisle five, and then the, the guy walked up, the helmeted guy walked up to the woman who worked and said, pointed to somebody, and she went, oh my God, and I'm just watching this unfold. I'm not shopping. She goes, oh my God. She runs to a phone, calls security, um, uh, security, um, we need somebody to walk through the, uh, walk through the. The, the building, and it was like walk through a walk through, and I thought, what does that mean? And I watched the guy with the helmet run after a guy who's got Jack Daniels, who's got a six pack of cider, and he's walking out without paying. And I'm going, this is fucking drama. And are you noticing what the fuck is going on in your universe, or are you just walking through it? Mm-hmm. Because wherever situation you're in, there's something different that's happening in that situation that. That makes this day different than any other day. Yeah, yeah. And what is it that you're look? What is it that you're 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 doing by rote? Because there was a time where you walked into a supermarket and you went, "What the fuck is this?" You know what I mean? Yeah. First time you drove a car. Yeah. Like, whoa, this is a room that I can move. Right. It's essentially a shed. Right. That I can move. right? And when was the last time you thought, gas, turn. Remember? Turn. Put the gas down and turn. Depositing your checks with your phone. Jesus, right? <laughs> that's my latest one. I know. That's no, I, I get I still it. Haven't, I, still haven't, I still haven't gotten over that yet. No, I've, I've, I've been doing it for a year now. But I, right. like, to me, that's like, wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> right. And how can I trust this? You know, There's no I, didn't. I didn't. I didn't for a while. I didn't for a while. Either. And then I was like, oh, it went in there. It got in there. It, it, it made yeah, it. Or, it got in there. I'm relaxed yeah. now. But it, 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 Yeah. PayPal. Mm-hmm. PayPal. Putting money into PayPal and then going, I, I think, and then getting it out going, oh, well, that, that worked. Yeah. I got money. Yeah. Here's another thing. Money. Money has changed so much. The delivery system, the the architecture of the money, where you, you don't, I don't know that I see that much money anymore. I don't carry much money anymore. I'm always a little irritated with myself when I have to tip a guy at the airport or something, 3 bucks, and I have no money. Yes, yes. I, if I know I'm going to go to the airport, I will get a, a bunch of singles. But I have totally, and I'll show you later, I've gone from a wallet to a billfold. Yeah. And my life, I feel like, and that's another situation where you go, I don't know if this is going to work. That's I still have my wallet. Apple I, Pay I, thing. Like, I don't know, Like, oh, wow. do you do that yet? No, have you? Well, I. Oh, you yes. have a six. I, I, I signed up for it, but some something's wrong. I'm not quite. Uh-huh. I don't know if something happened. But I'm a little afraid. That's the next thing I'm a little afraid of. But I'm going to do it. Right. But anyway. You don't have to do it now. I'm, I'm this not. quite. free. To. I'm, not, I'm not. No, free. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The Apple Pay thing. Just, I don't know. The world. Cash. That's why when I think of what the world is now, and I think back to 1988 when I was doing, starting improv, you know, we made our flyers, I'm not kidding you, with Letra set letters, the kind you rub off with an eraser, we made our flyers with Letra set and then Photocopied them. I know. I was in 1988. I was a. I worked in a. Um, I. I was a, a graphic designer by trade, uh, as well. It's the greatest skill for an actor. It's ever. So- oh my god! I, I. I love it. So I was working at a, a. A printing shop downtown Chicago, and I would. I. I was a typesetter, and uh, the typesetting machine was literally the size of my desk. It was huge. And you took out essentially record albums that were floppy disks and you put them down. But before that, I was working at, I was a, I was a, um, a photo editor of a newspaper, and we had literally cut and paste. So you had something come off. You cut it out with a, and then you put waxed, wax, a wax wax the back right and then my high school newspaper would do the same thing you, right you lay it out in columns it was all waxed yep you lay it down I I was the headline editor one year oh and I made headlines and yep. waxed them and laid them and out. you also when you're a headline editor you got to do this figure out what the kerning is figure out what the size is figure out what the points is figure out the the m t- the m space and the end space like I got all that training the cropping photos with a cropping thing cool. and a wax pencil and also like they uh, uh, yeah, had this this uh, wheel that you had right. an enlargement wheel right. and to know right. how large or small, like all those things. Nope. Nothing. You might as well you might as well know how to fix a gramophone. Yeah. And ironically, I have a gramophone that's broken. I don't know how to fix it. So
1: <laughs> are you kidding? No,
0: I'm not kidding. It's my grandfather's. And it used to work and now it doesn't, and I don't know where to go to get it fixed. <laughs> <laughs> of all the of all that's Oh, well, of all the examples that I could give, and of all the people that I could give that example to, you. I have a gramophone, <laughs> and I have about thirty-five cylinders, and I can't play any of them because it's stopped working. I don't know how to fix it. Um, you know what? I I I I think we could do more, but I'd have to end there. Okay. Thank and you so much. Another the gramophone. <laughs> If you know a good gramophone repair person, drop me a line at dave at addcomedy.com and I will pass that information on to James Thomas Bailey. I'm sure he would appreciate it. Uh, ADD Comedy with Dave Zosky also thanks Ian Foley, our producer emeritus, Laura Parker, our co-producer. Uh, my dear friend, musician extraordinaire Al Rose for our theme song, I Feel Like a Million Dollars from Al's album, Sad Go Lucky. And we want to thank you, our listeners. If you liked our show, please give us a positive note on iTunes, won't you? I know you don't think, it. well, you might not think it matters, but it really, really does. Hey, if you're interested in having me at your theater, your improv school, your corporate event, please drop me a line at dave at Thanks, and we'll hear you in our ears.